Welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast, a podcast about following Jesus in the normal rhythms of everyday life. This is episode number 11, and once again, it is my pleasure to have with me Pastor Sam Schmidt. Hey, everyone. From Sacred City Moline. And today we are going to be furthering our discussion on the Lord's Prayer. This is the third podcast on the Lord's Prayer, and you can find the last two on iTunes, uh, our Sacred City website, or the Sacred City Life Facebook page. And Sam and I, we've also been preaching uh, line by line through the Lord's Prayer um, at Sacred City Davenport and Sam at Sacred City Moline for the past five weeks. We finish it this Sunday, and so if you want to um, get the foundational material for that, you can go back and, and find that at sacredcity.com. But today, um, we're going to take a little bit extra time to drill down into the topic of prayer and forgiveness. Uh, Jesus tells us to pray, Our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Here, Jesus is teaching us that confessing and repenting of our sins is an important aspect of genuine, real prayer. Um, Sam, why do you think confession and repentance um, is a key aspect to prayer? Yeah, we've been started out talking about why, like what prayer is exactly, but it's conversation and encounter. And there's a sense that if we, um, if you want to be in relationships with someone and, and ex- experience them and encounter them, there, there's a sense of experiencing that person for who they are and the reflection of who you are. Um, confession and repentance and prayer allows us to hold up the mirror. Actually, it's, it's an invitation of the spirit to sort of search our heart so that we would know what God knows about us, um, to see ourselves correctly, holding up the mirror, um, and then actually moving toward God and saying, some of this stuff isn't good about me. I want to shed it. I want to become more Christ-like. Uh, and then it opens up that dialogue and, and the experience of the gospel and the experience of our God as our Heavenly Father leads us into a more Christ-like version of ourselves. Mm. Yeah, so when Jesus says, forgive us our debts, he's there saying that we are debtors. Mm-hmm. And so obviously, if I'm a debtor and I'm going to the person who I owe money to, you know, I can't just go up, hey, man, what's going on? What's up? Remember, we're bros. He's going to look at me and like, you know, he could potentially human in a human relationship, but look at me like, I don't want to have anything to do with you, dude. You yeah. owe me a million bucks. Mm-hmm. You owe me a thousand bucks, right? You've been screwing me over. Um, And so, yeah, so understanding that we're debtors to God kind of puts things in perspective a, a little bit. It, it Reminds me of who he is, my judge mm-hmm. in one sense, in this, in this sense, and, and somebody I owe money to or owe something to, I owe allegiance to, and it also kind of puts me in my place. I remember uh, who I am. Um, we're, we can get into more than that in a, in a little bit. How do you think our prayer life goes wrong Like if we don't practice repentance? So there, there's a lot of people out there that say <clears throat> to me, and I've heard them say, hey, we don't need, you don't need to tell people to repent all the time. We don't need to be talking about repentance all the time. People already know they're sinners. They just need to know how much God loves them. You know, it's kind of like uh, they need a Mr. Rogers in the sky, Yeah. you know? Um, and so how do you think our prayer life goes wrong if we forget about confession or repentance and we just jump right in asking yeah. for stuff? Well, the first thing that I think of is when Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Pharisee who's who's looking across the temple and he sees the mm. sinner and he says, thank, I'm thankful that I'm not like that guy. Uh, and, and God, and Jesus says, well, you know what? God looks down at the sinner who's repenting of his sin. God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And God has mercy on that man and not so much the Pharisee. So I think that there, there's a sense that, you know, when think of thinking about sin and owning sin, it seems like a bad experience in a, in a way, but really what it is, it's, it's a gateway or it's a, it's a, a way to a deeper experience of God's mercy, of his grace and understanding of his kindness toward us. Uh, and so I think one of the ways that we just go wrong is by shortchanging our experience of God's grace. Uh, it's denying who we are uh, as mm. sinners and that identity and in de- denying that we deny ourselves the gospel. That's good. I think I said something about this on Sunday that 
Um, I think what you're describing there is many times we think of sin and being forgiven in a very transactional way. Um, I have been forgiven by sin, or I've, my sin's been forgiven by God. Why bring it up again? Why talk to him about it? Well, sin is transactional. God is our judge, and He and, and we can be forgiven, but it's also relational. Oh, yeah. He's our heavenly father and our sins still hurt him, still offend him, Mm -hmm. still grieve him. Um, And when we're living in sin with unconfessed sin, our experience and uh, joy in our salvation is diminished. The pleasure of the father. We're not enjoying the father like we could be if we were confessing and repenting of our Mm -hmm. sins. Um, I think it's interesting. Martin Luther, you know, we know that he nailed 95 DC's to the door of, uh, of Wittenberg and that sparked the Reformation in a sense, right? And we know he was condemning Roman or condemning the Roman Catholic Church in, in a lot of different ways. But what most people forget is one of his chief concerns. I mean, it was number one in his 95 theses. This is what he says. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent in Matthew 4, 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Yeah. Like this is one of the problems he had with the Catholic Church was they were confessing, they were doing penance, they were doing all they were you know doing all these different things, but they weren't really practicing repentance. Mm-hmm. They weren't really confessing their sins and turning from them and and turning to the Lord. And so Jesus says here one of the aspects of prayer when we're praying every day should be forgive us our debts. Like and, and what does that mean there? Forgive us our debts. Well, sin's called a lot of things in the Bible. Uh, transgression, missing the mark. Um, iniquity. Iniquity. But here he calls it debt. And what he's getting at is human beings, we've been made in the image of God. Um, we live and move and have our being in God. So we owe everything to him, right? Right. Our breath, um, whatever. We owe everything to him. And Jesus, when he says, what's the, when we ask him, what's the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. We owe God because of who he is. He's good, gracious, benevolent. We owe him worship. We owe him love. We owe him do, And not just like a little bit, all of it, all of our heart, all of our soul, right? All of our strength. And so when we come to understand what we owe God, um, we realize that our greatest sins are not sins of commission. I lied today. I stole something today. I lusted today. Those are indeed sins, but our greatest sins are actually sins of omission. Mm-hmm. We owe God infinite worship, and yet we haven't given it to Him. Right. Right. And so when you see that, actually nobody sins in commission without first sinning in omission. Right. We don't give God what uh, we owe Him, and then we give it to something else, basically. Mm. Well, what does it mean that we owe God an infinite amount of worship? Well, it means that our debt to him is infinite. And that's good news and bad news. Um, obviously, it's bad news because we're debtors and we can't pay it back. Right. It's just accumulating. Yeah. Moment by moment. Moment by moment. It's getting worse. Our debt's getting bigger and bigger. But it's good news because we can't pay it back. And someone else can and when God's, when Jesus says here, forgive us our debts, he's getting to this point of what, what we call justification. That through the gospel, Jesus, God sent the Son, the Son came, lived the perfect life that we can't live, died the substitutionary death that we deserve because of our sins. And now when we put our faith in the work of Christ, we can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. There's something about just even thinking of Jesus coming to live the perfect life. The fact that he gave God everything God was owed. I think a lot of times I I let, even personally, I let that roll off the top of my Mm. mind and think, oh yeah, Jesus was perfect, you know. But the fact that everything God was owed, Jesus gave it to him day by day, moment by moment. Yeah. And that just like blows my mind. Yeah. He shows us what it looks like to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what it looks like. Jesus was the perfect worshiper, right? So, what's the importance of this? The importance of this is we owed God an infinite debt and God didn't just erase it, right? Mm-hmm. God paid it himself. Yeah. So in a sense, through Jesus, God paid himself off, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so that's how we uh, can be forgiven. Now, why do you, Sam, why do you think that, so Jesus starts this statement off, you know, forgive us our debts. Why do you think it's important for us to understand um, how Jesus paid off our debts? I think it's important for us to understand, um, one, because if we don't understand it correctly, we won't be thankful people. If I have this idea that I can partially pay it off Mm. um, by the good things that I did do today or this week, uh, and then I kind of worked my way a little bit into God's favor, then I miss like really the weightiness of Jesus paying it all off for me. So with that, there's a theology out there. So what we're talking about is Jesus paid for our past, present, future sins. He's paid it all off. The debt is completely gone. When he said it is finished on the cross, he literally meant it. But there's theology out there that says Christ only paid for your past sins, right? Mm-hmm. And now kind of you, it's up to you in a sense. Like he, yeah, I, I got you said, halfway there. Yeah, there's yeah. even churches out there like the Church of the Second Chance. And I'm like, Second Chance? Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> that was a long time ago yeah, that, for me. That's not helpful at all. I need the, the, the Church of Infinite Chances right. because I'm never going to live up. Um to God's righteous standard. I'm, I'm constantly going to be sinning. So yeah, if we, yeah, like you said, if we, if we only understand Jesus, all Jesus did was paid for my past sin, but now he expects perfection out of me mm. that I'm not going to be that grateful. I'm not going to have that much joy in my life. And I'm going to, my, a lot of my life is going to be lived in drudgery, mm-hmm. legalism. And I'm, guess what? My prayer life is probably going to be pretty lame. Well, and it's a diminished view of what our heavenly father's like of, you know, I'll get you this far and it's up to you to take it the rest of the way and you know and it's hands off from here yeah i think that that's really a small view of god and his fatherly presence in our life yes absolutely and i think it's also important as we come to see jesus's next statement i mean it's not really his next statement it's just a connecting statement he says for us to pray forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors Jesus here ties our ability to forgive others to the forgiveness we experience from him. And that's a pretty dangerous thing to, I mean, that, this is a, oh, sorry guys, this is a dangerous prayer to pray. Because if I'm unforgiving, if I'm an unforgiving person, if I don't give forgiveness freely or completely or from the heart, um, then I'm literally praying and saying, God, don't forgive me from the heart. Don't mm. forgive me completely. Don't forgive me freely. Yeah. This is a dangerous prayer to pray. Well, dangerous, and it's really hard to pray. Honestly, I think I think of all the lines where, uh, you know, the Lord's prayer rolls off the tip of our tongues. But there's a lot, a lot of it's hard to pray for God's will be to be done and not my own, for His kingdom come, not my own. But then for us to pray uh, that we would be forgiven like we forgive other people, I mean, that's really hard business, especially considering. Uh, some of the ways that people have been sinned against in our lives. You know, some people have had really, really difficult and life-altering sins, ways that they've been sinned against that, like, how would I ever, you know, how do I even think about forgiving this person with something so big like that? Yeah. And so Jesus is pointing to this reality. We are sinners, but we're also sufferers. We sin against God and we owe him a debt, and yet people have sinned against us and they owe us a real debt, Mm. a real moral debt. Um, And obviously the greater ways and measures you've been sinned against, the the greater debt um, that someone owes you. Now, just to clarify, I I had two quotes from uh, Puritan Thomas Watson. I want to use them real quick. One, our forgiving others is not a cause of God forgiving us. But it is a condition without which God will not forgive us. So we don't forgive others and then God forgives us. But after God forgives us, we do forgive others. And if we fail to forgive others, it's a sign that we have not been forgiven by God. Um, I use the analogy of a receipt. That when something's... so. If how do I know I've been forgiven by God? I wish I had a receipt, right? I go in there and when I pay off my debt at the bank, they give me a receipt, tells me it's done. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish I had a receipt that told me I'd been forgiven by God. Well, listen to this Thomas Watson quote again. Forgiveness, so my ability to forgive, forgiveness 
is a sign that God has forgiven us. We need not climb up into heaven to see whether our sins are forgiven. Let us look into our hearts and see if we can forgive others. So Watson's saying, here's your receipt. Here's how you know God's forgiven you. You look into your heart and you find it, uh, you find yourself able. I'm not going to say, I didn't want to, I almost said easy there, but it's not easy. You find yourself able to forgive others. Now, you know, you cuss me out, I can forgive that. You, you know, you beat up my kid, that's going to be a little bit more difficult, right? There's, it's going to, as we progress and get kind of um, into greater and greater sins, you know, it, it's going to get a lot more difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, now, here, here's what I find strange. Most people, when I share the gospel with, I say, hey, you're a debtor to God and you need to be forgiven and uh, Jesus paid your debt. Most people, they're like, okay, cool. Thanks, Jesus. I get it. Um, they get somehow through Jesus, they get forgiveness. But then when I when it comes to them having to forgive someone else, it's not like, oh yeah, okay, cool. I'll do that through Jesus. It's then it becomes really difficult. Yeah. Everybody becomes a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you mean? How am I supposed to do that? Like, how should it feel? Do I have to reconcile with them? Do I have to like them? Um, how many times do I have to do that? You know, they, they go through this long list of details. And I don't think that's necessarily uh, bad. These are honest and good questions. I think it, it it, it's because we've genuinely been hurt and somebody genuinely owes us a debt. And so we're wanting to know who's paying that debt. Well, you genuinely owed a debt to God. Who paid the debt? Right? Jesus paid the debt. Right. So when they owe you something, who's going to pay that debt? Well, clearly the answer is Jesus. Now, here's the problem. It's okay to ask these questions. This is why we're doing this podcast. But there can be a sense, and we must be careful that our heart isn't just looking for loopholes. You know, like, like the religious leaders, yeah. uh, well, go love your neighbor as yourself. Je and then what do they say to Jesus? Well, who is my neighbor? neighbor? Right. <laughs> Three houses down. Do I have to love that guy? <laughs> Five houses down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah What's yeah. the line? I need a line here. Jesus don't be fuzzy. Right. Okay. My next door neighbor I can love, but two houses down that guy, I can beat up when I see him. Sure. Right. Or the disciples with Jesus. Um, Matthew 18. How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven? Seven? <laughs> They're like, that's a good number. Yeah. Seven's good. I mean, hey, God made the world in seven days. Seven number of good? And Jesus says, seven times 70, which is basically his way of saying infinity. Yeah. The perfect, keep doing it. As long as he comes and repents to you, keep doing it. Keep forgiving. Um, so I, I think... We do have to be careful um, when we're getting down into all these little nitty gritty details that are, that are details that our heart's just not looking for any type of loophole um, to not forgive someone. Right. Right. When it, and there's a sense that, you know, the more that you live in community and on mission with people, the more you're bound to get sinned against, especially if you're living in authentic community where people yeah. are going to say things or do things either intentionally or unintentionally that are going to hurt you. And it's really hard uh, if we're wanting to make disciples and plant churches and re renew the city uh, to stay connected with people who step on our toes, who, who hurt us, sin against us. And uh, it's easy to kind of put up those walls when we're sinned against. And I think the vision of the kingdom, the vision of the ad advancement of, of what God's doing here uh, in the Quad Cities or beyond uh, is really what motivates us into forgiveness because in those those places where we're experiencing um, sin and the repentance of sin and, and forgiveness and reconciliation, there's really where the kingdom of God's breaking in. Um, and so as we're living in community on mission, there's this need for us to not just forgive once, right? If we're mm -hmm. sinned against, but every time, if I want to, if I want to participate in, in brotherhood or sisterhood with somebody, I've got to continue to do that. Um, so that doesn't hamper our relationship. And I, we, we, in my missional community this week, we spent basically the whole night, answering questions they 
or I spent the whole night answering questions. They spent, they, it, that's the benefit, I guess, of having the pastor in your missional community. Uh, you said this on Sunday, clarify this. And so the whole night they were asking me questions. I told them that the, this is the benefit of having me in their MC. The negative is I'll use them as an example on Sunday. <laughs> so. Uh, but so that, that brings up this idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't for us, for the human being. So for God, he can do it once and for all judicially gone but then he still teaches us because he's our heavenly father relationally we go back to him and we continue to confess our sins right um for us as human beings forgiveness it it doesn't really happen judicially when we're offering people forgiveness it's not something we just do once and then Mm -hmm. we move on and forget about it right we i mean obviously it's going to happen at a point in time Right. I forgive you now. You, you can say this person's forgiven, but then still sort of like you feel like things creeping back in where you're wanting to put that debt back on them. Absolutely. So if you've been sinned against sexually um, or you've had somebody, you know, I've had, I've had, you know, when I had my construction company, I've had guys just not pay me and guys, you know, just do awful stuff like that. And like, you know, you got a small business that can, that can put you under. And, you, and that being sinned against in those ways creates this bitterness in your heart. Mm-hmm. And you can say, you know what? I'm putting this on Christ. Jesus paid this debt. And so in a sense, that's the judicial part. It's done. I get it. It's been paid for in my mind. But my heart is still ruminating on it. It's still kind of clinging to it. I'm still wounded and still hurt. And it's going to take some time to heal. And so... What needs to happen is not just I need to forgive someone, but I need to have a, I need to have a forgiving disposition. Mm-hmm. I need to be become um, a forgiving person. So every time it comes up in my mind what this person owes me, I have to cast that care on the Lord for He cares for me. I have to remind myself that Jesus paid that debt and that. Either Jesus pays the debt now, like if it's a Christian brother and sister, I can put that on Jesus and say that sin's been put on Christ. Or if it's an unbeliever, I can say God will judge that sin on the last day. Like in whatever, some way, justice is going to happen. Right. Right. But the attitude of my heart needs to be, I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving. Because that's the attitude of God's heart. Definitely. And I feel like one of the things that, helps lead us into that sort of mantra is the fact that Jesus is there with us in our suffering. It's not that it's up to me to completely bear the load and and own that person's debt. Um, but to know that Jesus is mindful of, of the, the sufferer. He's there. He sees the injustice. Um, he is going to make all things that are wrong, right someday. And so there's a sense where, um, it, in the way that Jesus relates to us as sinners by justifying us, Jesus relates to us as sufferers by being there with us, that our burdens can be unloaded onto him. Um, and I think that when you see Jesus there alongside of you as a sufferer, he, he was the suffering servant. Nobody knows suffering more than Jesus. Mm. And so seeing how he can be sympathetic and compassionate to us in the midst of our suffering also, I think, is, is one of the pieces that move us toward forgiving. That's good. Um, so we had a few questions come up on Realm, our social media app for our church. And uh, one is kind of in reference to, um, she makes mention that when Jesus is saying, forgive, he's talking about your brother, which means your Christian brother uh, in Matthew 18. And as often as they come to you, um, you should forgive them. We would agree with that 100%. Um, But what if you've been sinned against by an an unbeliever, an outsider? how, you know, how does that look? Well, Jesus also told us to forgive our enemies. So that covers our enemies as well. Now, uh, I said on Sunday, forgiveness, um, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. It's not a renewal or a restoration of the relationship. Um, forgiveness you can forgive someone and still throw them in jail and mm-hmm. still you know let see legal consequences come about absolutely you you can do all that so um let me just get into this question a little bit more 
Um, she, she's talking about uh, friendship that's been broken with a non-Christian. Uh, I guess the question I need to ask there is what sin has been committed? So is it just, um, if it's just relationships go apart, that's not necessarily a sin. But if you've, if, uh, you know, so if I, sin's I, been the wedge that drives the, yeah, the, the relationship apart, then that's something to worth address. Like yeah. What, what's the sin there worth? But the question is, how do I walk out forgiveness um, of a person who doesn't know Christ? And, um, well, I think the easiest thing to say there is to go back to this prayer and think of um, how Christ has forgiven you, Mm -hmm. right? And I also go back in and and just try to go back into the situation. It sounds like you you came to Christ or you begin to living out your faith and um, and the, and the person said, you know, I don't want to be with you anymore, whatever, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Um, that, that's a real consequence of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that, ha- if that's just a real consequence of following Jesus, you haven't sinned against them. They haven't necessarily sinned against you. And so it's not a matter of forgiveness. It's just, um, you know, you guys are living two different ways and going in two different directions. And how can two walk together if they're not in agreement? Right. Right. But one of the things that I would do is I know when I came to Christ, um, I was a bull in a China shop. I was trying to win all my friends to Jesus, but I was doing it in a very probably arrogant, zealous, zeal without knowledge type of thing. I was just I look back and I go, oh man, what was I doing? I, I was a fool in a lot of ways. I wasn't gentle. I wasn't kind. Um, and so I would look back and say, oh crap, did I contribute to the dissolution of this relationship? Was I just impossible to be around? Yeah. You know, I'd go, I'd go back and I'd look at myself and ask those questions. And if, if I could, if I could find some sin in my own heart there, I would, I would probably send him an email, text him on Facebook, do whatever and say, Hey, I'm sorry about the way that I represented Christ when I first got serious about Jesus or whatever. I was foolish in a lot of ways. I had zeal without knowledge. And I just wanted to say, man, I, um, I want to ask your forgiveness. And and if you could, you know, if you could forgive me, whatever. Um, yeah, I think there's a way to not have that conversation as well. I, I just, I'm reminded of, dynamic that I had with one of my younger brothers um, growing up. And in a lot of ways, I was just a huge jerk. And uh, I came to a realization of my sin in that relationship. And I felt the real need to go and repent to him um, and say, hey, this is my debt that I realized that was that you had been sort of absorbing. Uh, and I think I went in that conversation knowing what I had done wrong, but expecting for him to come to some sort of realization of his wrongdoing as well. Mm. And instead of letting it be a, the initial starting point of the beginning of reconciliation. I was wanting to go like full in on reconciliation and trying to fill him in on what he needed my forgiveness for as well and repent. So there's a way I think in in those relationships of you really show Jesus at work in your life by saying, here's what I did wrong and I'm just sorry. And leaving it that not expecting any sort of reciprocation in the moment and say, Hey, I'm willing to, uh, re-engage if you're willing to re-engage I'm willing to continue or, or like restart up uh, whatever this friendship look like and then trusting that like maybe that's the beginning of of where God or not necessarily the beginning but maybe how God wants to start working in that person's life to make them more aware of the forgiveness that he's trying to make available to yeah. them as well um, <clears throat> but I, I would agree with that and then I would also sh- they mentioned about like you know just Anytime we have a, a, a relationship that's been broken, there's a tendency to get bitter, get angry. Um, you see that person in the grocery store, you want to avoid them. When we're feeling that way, that is the dashboard light going off in our soul saying something's wrong here. Your soul is um, in disarray. Something needs to happen. And so we as Christians should be able to forgive our enemies in such a way that if we saw them in the store, um, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't try to run from them. We wouldn't avoid, avoid them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, 
kind of take that to the Lord and re- and first off be reminded of the debt that he paid for me that when I was yet a sinner Christ died for the ungodly that Jesus came after me while I was a sinner and and saved me and my debt that I'd owe to God was infinite this the debt this person owes to me that's finite whatever it is it's finite right it could be a million dollars it could be whatever it could be an apology. I think they owe me an apology. Well, that's finite. That's very small compared to what God owes or what we owe God. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's impossible to be infatuated with what God's done for me in the gospel and overwhelmed that he paid this million trillion dollar debt for me. And then, you know, Matthew 18, the, the, the wicked servant goes and puts another servant in a chokehold and demands that they pay... Uh, their ten thousand dollars that they owe him after he just got forgiven by a million, mm-hmm. right? That that's a that is a discontinuity there. That person's not believing the gospel, and I think what Jesus is showing us in this prayer is you. The only way we can forgive from the heart like this is by believing the gospel, by seeing the infinite debt that he paid for us. Yeah, we can pay. We can you know we can release the debt, the small debts that others pay. Yeah, and I think with with forgiveness, there's always a hope for reconciliation. But um, it takes two people to be reconciled. It only takes one person to forgive. And so, if you're feeling, um, you know, that you owe debt or somebody owes you a, you a debt, I guess would be the more um, thing to to let that debt go, to let Jesus shoulder that. Um, and then, if if it works on the other side for that person, then it's like that's when reconciliation can happen. That's good. Yeah, uh, forgiveness, I like that. Forgiveness is one-sided. Miroslav Volf says, forgiveness is the genuine release of a real debt. Mm -hmm. It's a a genuine release of a real debt. So this person owes me a debt, but I'm releasing it because God's going to pay it it back one way or another. Um, Hopefully we answered that question. Uh, Next question, could you please discuss the importance of forgiving oneself? Where does the difficulty in doing this stem from and how is it overcome? <laughs> uh, this is a big topic. Um, could you please discuss the importance of forgiving oneself? Well, Sam, you want to talk, tackle it before I I jump on this yeah, one? Yeah, I was just thinking uh, in our studies this week, uh, I, there's a scenario between a pastor and a congregant who said, I... I know that Jesus paid for my sin. Um, I just don't feel forgiven. And the pastor says, well, it's your pride's standing in the way. And, and what that is, is there's a sense that, okay, God has forgiven my debt, but I don't feel like I've forgiven myself. And when I think we're caught up on forgiving ourselves, we've, just, we've lost sight of whose opinion of ourselves is bigger. Is my opinion of myself bigger, or is God and what he says of me bigger? Yeah, I think that's a good... That's a good perspective. Um, we have standards for ourselves. We hold our, you know, we create our own standards in a sense. And we say, I want to be, this is the type of person that I want to be. And then when we, f- because we're sinners, right, we fail our own standard, right? Now, here's the reality. Jesus set the standard infinitely higher than you're ever able to accomplish. Love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. That means every thought you think should be filtered through the love of God. Like you should be thinking about how does this relate to God and what's God got to do with this? Like, and you should be worshiping God with everything in you, right? Now, you fail that standard every freaking day, right? Mm-hmm. So, you are a failure. Now, here's what we do in our minds. We, like good self-righteous Pharisees that we are, we lower the standard of God to something that, you know, like I'm 5'9", so like my standard is going to be like 5'8 right? 5'8 Anything below five eight and a half are idiots, but you know five. You know I'm five nine, so I just clear it, right? I just clear the standard. I'm I'm just good enough. Now, what does that mean? Um, we want to be the type of person who um, doesn't cheat on our spouse, 
Okay, well, that, that, that's a good standard. But, but the standard is to lay your life down for Christ or for your wife like Christ did for the church. So technically, you're not a good husband until you're laying your life down for your wife like Christ did the church. Don't just look down on all the people in Hollywood who are cheating on their spouse, mm -hmm. right? So I could go on and on and on about this. So basically what happens is we create a new law. We create a new standard. We take God's law and we dumb it down to something we can barely meet, we can barely pass. Well, inevitably, even our own standards, we fail. Yeah, they're too lofty. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I'm a person who's, who's, I get to meetings five minutes early. And then I forget about a meeting, and the whole way to that meeting, I'm late, and the whole way, I'm beating myself up. You idiot. What kind of person forgets about, I have a reoccurring nightmare that I have a wedding that I'm late for. I've totally forgot about. But on Saturday, I wake up from like a nap and it's like, t and, the, and the wedding started 10 minutes ago. And I have to find my suit and get all this stuff and get there. <laughs> and on the way there, I'm like writing a sermon in my mind. It's a reoccurring nightmare that I have a standard of being a good pastor and I completely fail it. Yeah. Right? So we all have these standards. I have a standard that I'm a moral exemplar and I'm never going to cheat, with, you know, I'm never going to, you know, sleep with my girlfriend or go too far. Or, and then I do. Right? Well, this is the definition of moralism. It's the definition of being religious. And when, that, when I fail that standard, what do I do? Well, if you're a good Pharisee, you beat yourself up real good. Mm -hmm. You idiot. How could you do this? You're just like those idiots that you hate. Mm -hmm. those, all those people that have no self-control and no, oh, you're just like that. And you just heap abuse on yourself. And then what do you do? What's the next step? You vow, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll never do it again. This time's different. Um, you know, I need an accountability partner. I need 10 accountability partners. And you double down on it. Well, and then, then obviously you fail. The cycle continues. And you have, in your sense, let yourself down. And you feel like if you forgive yourself, that's letting yourself off the hook. And you have to be good, a good moralist, a good Pharisee. And you have to beat yourself up. Well, that, that shows that you think shame, guilt, and fear are your primary motivators for obeying God. Mm. That's not the gospel. Right, absolutely. That's not how God motivates. God motivates through love, through grace, unearned favor, right? Through forgiveness, through thankfulness over what he's already done. That's the primary motivators of the gospel. So when a person says, I can't forgive myself, there's all kind of theological problems with that. And psychological, in a sense, psychological problems too, because if, if I believe God can forgive me, even though his standard is infinitely higher, if I believe God can forgive me through Jesus, how could I not forgive myself? My standard is so much lower. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is because down in my gut, I believe Jesus plus something equals forgiveness. Right. Right. Jesus plus moral purity, Jesus plus sacrificial giving, Jesus plus something else. And so what I'm actually doing is saying, Jesus, when I'm saying I can't forgive myself, I'm saying, Jesus, thanks, but your sacrifice didn't pay the debt. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like it wasn't enough. Yeah. It wasn't enough. And so I think the problems, and I think it's real. I think we all probably, or many of us deal with this. It's, um, but I think it, it stems from not believing the gospel. Um, yeah. And not, I mean, it's, it's, it's resisting grace. Yeah. It's resisting grace. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, I mean, that's what I would say about that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and then and then just even knowing that it what that what Jesus did was enough that that God is satisfied with what Christ put forward on your behalf. That if it if it wasn't satisfactory, God would not have raised Christ from the dead. Oh, and here's another one. And Paul says in Corinthians, I think it's off the top of my head. I could be wrong. In Corinthians, he said he's talking about you know being free from condemnation, and he says, and my heart doesn't even condemn me. But that, does, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I'm not condemned. I just, I'm not aware of anything. Mm. 
And there's this idea there that my heart can be off. My heart can condemn me. My heart can say you're unforgiven when the gospel says you're forgiven. Mm -hmm. Well, what do I have to do? This is why David spoke to his soul all the time. Yeah. And oh, my soul, forget not his benefits. Justin, forget not the gospel. Yeah. You know, and remember, who are you, you idiot? Like, that's what I want to say to myself. Like, who are you, you idiot? Like Mm. the ultimate judge forgave me. And yet me, some little minuscule judge says, no, you're not forgiven. Right. Right. If you go to the Supreme Court and they say you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Right. Right. Yeah. And God's not going to come back. You know, you're you're not going to move toward God in repentance. uh, And then God's not going to come back a week later and say, oh, that sin. We're going to bring this back up again. He, he's, he holds no ro- record of wrongs. As far as the East is from the West, your sin has been removed from you. Uh, and so like when, when that is the case where you feel like I, I haven't shed this yet or I still owe myself some forgiveness, that, that's very likely the enemy trying to condemn you and tell you, Absolutely. you know, Jesus isn't enough. Yep. And so going back to the gospel that Jesus is, or God is satisfied in Christ. Yeah. Um, very, this is very common with, with people who like, um, have more like addictive type of sins, addicted to pornography, addicted to alcohol, addicted. They, they don't feel forgiven until they're like 30 days sober. Mm -hmm. And then once they're 30 days sober, okay, now I got some ground underneath me. I'm probably really repentant. And then they usually cycle back and they Mm -hmm. usually sin again or they do the same thing again. Um, because they think it's Jesus plus 30 days sobriety or 60 days sobriety equals forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. It's not the case. Yeah. All right. Um, last question that I've got here. Uh, maybe I'm saying it here. Let me, let me read it here. Uh, what's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? Um, so in forgiving others, how do we discern the reconciliation? We've kind of already hit on this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, two separate things, forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, though in Christ we get reconciled to the Father, um, that happens as we confess and repent of our sin. We and Jesus can produce that in us. We can't produce that in any other person. So um, the Spirit can convict me of my sin and produce faith and repentance. I can't do that in any other person, so therefore I can't be reconciled to anyone um, unless they are willing to own their sin and and confess it. Um, Yeah, so I think... Yeah. Anything else? I think that's about it for yeah, for, for that. Um, now, here's where some of the folks in my missional community we were talking about last night. Much of our problems come from this reality that when people sin against us in ways that we don't particularly like, you know, there, there's some sins that just tick us off more than others. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhere when that happens, Deep in our heart, we say, how could they do that? And that how could they do that question is usually tied to the thought of, I would never do that. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, for me, like somebody stands me up for a meeting. They say, yeah, I'll be there. Whatever. I get there like 30 minutes into it. I'm like texting them. They just forgot about it. And I'm like steaming. You've wasted my time. You've wasted the Lord's time. I could have been studying, meeting with somebody else. How could you do that? Right. Um, now it might be someone asks you an in, what a, a question in a missional community. You think it's an inappropriate question. Like there's a line of appropriateness that you don't cross. This middle class line, mm-hmm. and somebody steps over it and maybe asks you about money or ask you about your sex life or ask asks you about how your heart is doing dealing with a situation and it offends you because you think they've, they, they've crossed whatever line you have in your mind of appropriateness. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you in your mind would say, I would never do that. How could they do that? Now here's, here's what I'm thinking. When that thought, how could they do that? I would never do that. Lodges in our mind. Unforgiveness begins to take root. And when unforgiveness begins to take root, Bitterness, anger, resentment, and coldness of heart are soon to follow. Yeah. Coldness, aloofness, bitterness, anger, these are the fruit of the root of unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. Happens with our kids. I 
can't believe they would do that. How would they do that? Right? I just don't believe they're sinners. And what I'm really saying is, I would never do that. I'm not a sinner like that. Right? Well, what's actually going on here? Here's what I think is the greatest obstacle to forgiving others. It's not woundedness. It's self-righteousness. If C.S. Lewis famously says, like, if I'm constantly looking down on others, like we, we can only look one way at the same time, right? If I'm consci- consciously, consciously looking down on others, or I can't look up to God. Well, when I'm looking up to God, I'm realizing there is an infinite debt here. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is holy. I'm not. I'm way down the totem pole here. And the person who sinned against me, they're really right next to me. Mm-hmm. But when I'm, you know, if I'm constantly looking down, I might actually think that the dif- distance between me and them is huge. They're so much greater sinner than I am. Yeah. But I can really only have that perspective if I'm only looking down and I'm I'm not looking up at yeah. God. And so I think um, when I feel bitterness, when I feel anger, you know, over a certain person's behavior, you know, or when I feel coldness or if I'm in a grocery store and I see somebody and I want to dart down the aisle, that's the Holy Spirit saying to me, we've got work to do, brother. Yeah. We've got heart work that needs to happen here. Right. Um, and it's self-righteousness and a self-righteous heart. Um, it just, it's, it slowly petrifies. And so the gospel, the seeds of the gospel just begin to bounce off it. Mm. You know, and um, and the joy in our salvation begins to lessen. Um, we become more critical of others. Yeah, we we stop enjoying our children as much because they're just little sinners that just annoy us and and they can't get it right. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, what's going to happen there is our relationship with our Father is going to be transactional. Our prayer life is going to suck. I'm just gonna say it straight up, like. Mm-hmm. You, you'll you'll still keep praying for things, but you won't pray rightly. Yeah. You won't be able to pray the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Right? Not honestly. Not honestly, no. Or you're condemning yourself if you're praying it. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> uh, Father, I really want you to treat me like I treated that girl in the grocery store yesterday I saw. <laughs> Father, when I come to you, would you please dart down an aisle? That's what I want. When I come to you, right, get really angry and bitter at me and run away from me. Yeah. Right? Mm. Now, problem, some of us might think that God actually does that. And that's not that's not the gospel. That's, that's a false belief. It's a false gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of the, the two brothers shows us what God's heart towards us sinners is like um, before he can even get his repentance prayer out. Basically, he's coming. Father sees him, the son from a far way off, runs out, does something completely inappropriate, runs out, throws his arms around his son, puts the family ring on his finger, invites him back into the family and tells everybody, we're throwing a party for this. Yeah stupid sinner and angels rejoice over repentance and angels throw a party that's right and if that's how god welcomes us in how should we welcome others right how Mm -hmm. how how much yeah like that should we welcome those who sinned against us so um yeah i think that's uh you got anything else i was just i i'm thinking going back to the beginning of the lord's prayer your kingdom come one of the I mean, this is one of the ways, actually with the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus starts off by saying the kingdom of, of heaven is kind of like this, where this this king settles debts with his servants. And he shows how the uh, it all goes wrong where the, the servant's unforgiving. But there's a sense where the kingdom of God is like God forgiving his people and his people forgiving one another. And I think when we're living in community on a mission together to, to really put that into practice, that's where the kingdom of God is. That's where the kingdom is breaking through. That's good. You can't do missional community without knowing you're forgiven by God and being able to freely forgive other yeah, people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, another thing that a part of that, that's missional. Totally. People look in at that and go, you've been friends for how long? Yeah. Mo- very few people have, you know, decade long friend- friendships anymore. Right. Or if they do, they're surface level. They golf once a week or something. Mm-hmm. Right. But have real heart level. Yeah, that, you know we're in relationship, we've sinned against each other and we have the power to freely forgive. That's attractional. Yeah. Right. And it's not just people skirting conflict. It's like there, there's a sense where in the gospel we can go head on with conflict 
and know that Jesus is big enough to handle it. That, that Jesus working in my heart is big enough to forgive you and vice versa. Yeah. So this concept of forgiveness, this concept, this idea, this category of our faith, it's huge. Uh, most people know the gospel is all about forgiveness, uh, but most people fail to kind of make connections between our ability to forgive others and um, how we've been forgiven by Christ. And so I pray that as you're praying the Lord's Prayer, um, you would process how great your forgiveness is in, in Christ and, and through Christ. And you'll also contemplate, who am I holding in unforgiveness? Why am I holding in them in unforgiveness? How could I be doing this if yeah. God's forgiving me? And I think this will begin to unlock some corners of your heart that have maybe uh, you've kind of quarantined off to the gospel. You've kind of tried to keep Jesus out of this room of your house in the heart. And, um, and as you can release this debt of forgiveness, um, I, I think your experience of your own forgiveness, of your own adoption, of your own love from the Father is going to deepen. So hopefully uh, this was helpful today, guys. Um, we'll see. We, we might do one more of these on the Lord's Prayer. We'll just see how it goes. Or we might jump into our next series, which is going to be on marriage. If you have any other questions you'd like us to answer, uh, please email us, um, justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. You can just email me and we can uh, process that, get them, get them there for you. And uh, we would love for you to do us a favor and share this on Facebook. Um, give us a thumbs up on Facebook, like us, um, give us, rate us, please rate us on, on uh, iTunes. It helps other people find us, you know. And so uh, we appreciate the time you guys have spent with us. And we're thankful to be your pastors at Sacred City. And so we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless. <laughs>